Hey guys, how are we doing? Welcome to another awesome episode of Mankind. I've got um, a really great guy here today called Josh uh, Connolly. Um, I found Josh on Instagram with his powerful uh, reels and videos uh, and instantly uh, was drawn to him. And um, I really feel that this man's got so much to offer a lot of the guys that I connect with as well. Um, so I'm really excited to introduce Josh. Josh, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. Good, mate. Thank you. Good to be here and uh, uh, good to be connected as well. Yeah, 100%. So um, we're on time limits, so we're going to get direct and straight to it. So listen, who is Josh Connolly professionally? Professionally, uh, I say I'm a, I'm a resilience coach. So um, there's sort of like a number of different avenues to what I do in a professional perspective. I've got like the the corporate work that I do. So that like is makes up quite a large part of what I do. But then I have like, I work directly uh, with within individuals in a group setting. Um, so like online stuff. Uh, and then I have the Uncommon Man, which I do once a month as well. Although I wouldn't really call that professional, really. That's more of a like pastime. So I don't know, man. I don't know what, I, I'm a resilience coach who's sort of, it's very fortunate to do whatever I fancy doing, really. <laughs> love that. I love it. I love it. It's always difficult. Like, I always like to let somebody identify themselves with what they are as a coach. Is like, and uh, and a lot of people always seem to think I'm a lifestyle coach or a life coach, and I literally hate like that. And I'm very much just more think about the mindset, right? So I think it's good. I'm, I'm glad you said resilience. So what's resilience to you? What, what how would you define resilience in your own mind yeah look the reason i the reason i've always said resilience coach is because i think resilience is important um i think the problem with it is a lot of people can be turned off by it because they've been told that they need to be resilient all of their life when actually um what they're experiencing is 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 a world or an environment that needed changing um and a lot of people think that resilience is like keep going, always show up, keep moving forward. And what I'm really passionate about is sort of redefining that or actually bringing it back to its original meaning, which is like to be able to understand myself, to make sure I get what I need whenever I'm struggling. And, and, and you know, look, that can be anything. Uh, and I think, I think it's detrimental when we think that it's to keep moving forward. And so that's what I'm quite passionate about really is to, to broaden the conversation so that people can understand it properly truly for what it is because because the reason i think just to add to that the reason i think it's important is because people often say to me shouldn't we be trying to create a world where people don't need to be resilient and i'm like no no because that's dysfunctional right to to, to believe that we could exist in a world that's not going to cause you any kind of suffering and if and and if we existed in a world where there was no struggle then there'd be no the opposite of struggle there'd be no happiness there'd be no freedom right because it would it would all be sort of monotone so i, th I think it's important to develop it in a way that gives us power and freedom in our lives yeah i like that i and i think since i've met you actually like this is the first time we've actually met but since i've come across you i've really reflected on my own uh, not me personally but the way that i deliver in terms of resilience because i think I think we have to look at everybody's um, version of resilience. So I guess coming through the military for nine years, I had to show a particular type of resilience around a particular type of environment, which was very alpha male. And I had to be resilient to almost survive in there, which is like what you, I would say that had some detrimental effects to my mental health when I left. Um, and I really... And I, and, I, and I have since consuming and listening to you and, and being aware of you, like I've tamed almost that resilience to, to actually, do you know what? Resilience sometimes is understanding ourselves better. It's not like being a hard brick wall where you, you try to stop everything coming in. And, I, and, it, and, it's, and that's been really great for me in terms of learning um, because I think my version of resilience has always been like it's a brick wall, like we just deal with it. And I think, I think actually, you know, in the last six weeks, especially when we come back from holiday, I've looked at that resilience, especially with running a business and like, you just got to keep showing up. You just got to like, and actually, no, I feel exhausted. It's all right to stop for a little bit. It's all right to go and pay attention, right? Yeah. And the way that I separate that down is, is 
like part of our resilience is that you need to be tough. Now I would make toughness as being slightly different. Toughness is like that brick wall that you talked about. Yeah. So I think like in the military, you have almost no option but to be tough. Right. <laughs> yeah. so, 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 so you have to be like that brick wall. You have to develop that. Um, but the problem with being tough, like a brick wall is, is if you think of like a tough material or something like a hard plastic, right. It's tough because it takes impact and it stays fixed and strong and exactly as you need it. Right. Um, the problem with that is that too much impact and it will snap. And when it snaps, it's, it's useless. You can't use it in its original form anymore. Right. Um, and so long-term we need to be a little bit more like elastic, which is like we bend and we distort and we move out of shape. Now, here's where the nuance is and where I think it's important to talk about this is we need a bit of toughness. Uh, and it's, I think it's wrong to say that we don't, right. Um, sometimes I need to show up and I need to be like that hard plastic and I couldn't be doing the work that I'm doing now. If I wasn't tough, probably a little bit too much sometimes, right. To get the work done. But, but true resilience is like having that understanding that I've been in that, tough state a little bit too long now yeah. and i'm gonna snap i'm yeah. gonna snap my breaking point's gonna come so i need to understand that and make sure that when i've been through those periods of being tough for too long that i come back to my resilience which is what do i need in this moment and how do i make sure that i'm not going to snap you know and so yeah. i think people tend to polarize things a lot and you know we sort of live in this world where toughness is almost sometimes becomes a dirty word you know i even see it in the way that you talked about business and i think it's like a good uh example of this where people like say now you know if it costs you your mental health then you shouldn't do it and i'm like well hang on a minute like there's times when i've sat up late like to the detriment of myself because i wanted to get something done to move forward in what i'm doing and so you know things like creating a business if you want it to be successful in that way does take sacrifice so it's, it's, it's understanding that the things can coexist and it's messy and it's nuanced. Um, and it's not, you know, you, you don't want that just pure hustle all of the time to the detriment of myself, never, ever sleep because I'll break. I know that. I also don't want to be the other side, which is like I don't move anywhere in my life because I never push myself out of my comfort zone. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's somewhere in the middle. It's great. Yeah. And, and I think. And I think that's the message that I think I try and get across as best as I can. And I think there's two key, there's two key front doors to that for me. And, and they are balance and self-awareness. Um, and how important, like for me, I, I, I feel everything, the front door to all of the things that we're talking about right now is that self-awareness of understanding actually uh, I'm up to 11 o'clock at night. I've been working since 4.15 in the morning, go to bed. and uh, Or understanding your emotions and going, actually I'm exhausted I can't keep taking on all of these clients or how important do you think self-awareness is in, in, in all of this I've, in the end I think it's all you have yeah do you know what I mean in the end I think it's all you have and I've not reached this place where I get it right but what I have reached is a place where I have enough of self-awareness to know when I'm doing it wrong <laughs> yeah do you know what I mean and so yeah. for me in the end that's all I have and I think we're all the same, but we're all very, very different as well, right? Because I know like when I started business, I was reading a lot of like system-based stuff where it's like, do this and, you know, do it this way and do it that way. But I realized like I'm a sprinter. I am in the way that I work, right? Which is different to some people in that I'll float about and do nothing for a few days, right? And it will be quite good for my emotional well-being, right? But then I'm, I'll be up against it. But when I'm up against it, I'll bash out, two weeks of work in two hours. Do you know what I mean? So that's, but, but I spent a long time trying to change that about myself until I realized, no, that's why I'm able to do what I do because that's how I work. So it's more about becoming aware of who I am and finding ways to embrace that rather than thinking that I constantly need to change who I am because, because I've seen it online and I've, I thought I should do it the way that I've seen it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally get what you mean. Yeah. I think, um, I use the word evolution a lot. So evolve, always evolving. And I think about how I worked when I very first started my business, my first ever business, which was in 2013 and how I work on my business now. And you look at the stages and the lessons that we learn. And I don't, I don't believe in the word failure because I don't think you ever fail. I just think you learn and you gain experience and you learn a little bit more about yourself 
and about actually what you want and what you don't want. And I recently, last week or a couple of weeks ago, closed down one of my companies because I was like, I can't do it all. I can't have four children, a wife, do jujitsu, play golf, do the weight, and, and you just can't do it all. So I think, I think as we go along, we evolve. And do you think like, we're going to get into a little bit of your past in a bit, but do you think over, over the years, you naturally have evolved into the person that you've, it's like a full circle, if you like, you almost see this person that you think you should be by looking at someone, you try it, try it, try it, and actually just come back to default mode, this is who I am and this is how I work and it makes us feel comfortable. Yeah, and I think, you, like, it's all an evolution, right? You know, if I look at content, and I've been making content now actively on this journey for like four years now, four or five years, and I look at content even from six months ago sometimes and think, I can't believe that I was saying that, right? Like, I can't even believe that I thought that, let alone made a video and put it out to the world. And I think that's a good thing. That's why I say to people, don't ever get too angry or triggered by anything I say, because by the time you confront me about it, I probably won't believe it anymore, right? But that's part of the journey for me, that that kind of evolution and, and finding things that work and realizing they work and thinking it's amazing and then thinking I have it all figured out and then something happens or the thing that I was doing stops working. I've got to find something else. Do you know what I mean? But each and every time it chips a little bit away at my understanding of life. And I think for me, the real freedom just comes from knowing that I'll never really know anything, but it's fun. It's fun exploring it. Yeah. The process. Yeah. It kind of creates creates you and I think about the process and I think like look our, our worlds come together through the process and I think I think more more and more as I get older I kind of rejected it in my earlier years of business but connecting more with people talking to people being open people and, and thinking that this is going to help thousands of people and you think wow this just this conversation you think through the process and the evolution of it and the way that I've changed as well you know <laughs> talking about when we did content when when i first used to do my videos in our dining room i would literally empty my dining room so i'd move all the tables and chairs into the lounge my, <laughs> missus, my wife is sitting there right in there going looking at all of the dining room and our lounge going what am i doing with this guy like and whereas now i would just sit on a beach put a camera up and just talk and, and it your belief systems and patterns completely and utterly change don't they um, yeah yeah so tell me a little bit about, so you've obviously got quite a lot of experience in this. And I, and I imagine that I, I behind my story and, and my mission that I'm on to help men, there's, there's an awful lot of pain, the suicide attempts, like drink, loss of identity. And I have no doubt, in fact, I know that you, you growing up have, through your life, built up these experiences to be able to share and understand people better. Um, so how was your childhood like growing up? Look, I think that when I talk about my childhood, I think it's always important to, to sort of stress that I've only really began to admit that to myself in the last, well, sort of 10 years now, right? But prior to that, when I was in my mid-20s, I would have told you my childhood was fine. Like, it was no, no harder than anybody else's. Everybody has it difficulties and mine were no worse than anybody else's. But the more that I started to understand who I was and understand my life I started to realize that actually I really struggled through a lot of my childhood my dad was a was an alcoholic so uh, I lived with that experience I struggled uh, I struggled all my life with men to be honest with you um, I've always found men a little bit scary a bit frightening although I would never have known that um, and I always had to put a big barrier up around men as a result of that you know like I knew how to be lads, 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 and I've got your back if anyone steps to you, I'll do them for you, that kind of thing. I knew how to be really hard externally and be around men, but I certainly had a complete inability to uh, be in a proper relationship with a man, a proper friendship, a proper bond where we can be there for each other. Yeah. Um, and that stemmed from my childhood, you know, and, 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 even like when my mum remarried, my step uh, remarried to my stepdad, who she's still with today and who's an amazing man, right? He's still a very 
stereotypical manly man, right? Which would have been fine if I hadn't have experienced my dad in the way that I did. So then I experienced my dad in a, my stepdad in a bit of a, I found him a bit scary, right? And he's not any of that, but because of what I experienced before that, it was already shaping who I was. So certainly that difficult childhood. And then on top of that, um, 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 everything that you might stereotypically say that a man isn't yeah i'm very emotional i'm very sort of soft and uh highly highly sensitive and all of that kind of stuff so i spent my childhood trying to be something else because i thought what i was wasn't what i was supposed to be yeah and like yeah and it's interesting that that the the stereotypical man and i think one of the things i try i share everything like in terms of like my emotions my vulnerabilities uh my insecurities like which are huge um and and i try to be very open in front of my audience so and allows them to i'm allowed to do the same right because i almost think about uh, is this is how i see it visually is and uh it's like if we're in a coffin and someone puts the lid on that coffin that's what we've got to do with our emotions almost we've we've got we because we're too afraid of what people actually think of us when we are vulnerable or we do cry or we are struggling and I think that I wonder how many people would look back at their childhood and maybe what you're talking about is really interesting because I think you and me have very very similar backgrounds is that you know my dad died when I was six that was never dealt with um and I'm 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 I kind of briefly mentioned it to you in, uh, on an email, but like I'm finding even just this year, a lot of my insecurities waiting for the next bad thing to happen, waiting for, my, for me to lose my house or lose my business are the direct result of losing my dad and actually never really dealing with that. And then my mum remarrying very quick to an alcoholic, emotionally abusive man, which I had to put up with uh, until I was 15, 16 years old. And I think... Um, and I think the military created a, an inner hardness in me that actually when I left for those first three years, I was vulnerable again, you know, and I, I lost mm. my identity and my purpose as well. So I, I can completely relate to that. And I can completely like, I, I really wish that. And I think the work that you do and I do really goes a long way to allowing men to be who they naturally are rather than forcing this hardened outer shell image and I'm a big and I, and I share all of this with my 50 year old boy like you know and, and, my, and my daughters and and trying to always exp- express how they feel and say it's all right to cry and I think there's a lot of work to be done in junior to secondary schools to change that perspective and change that mindset we'll come back to your childhood but what are your thoughts on on that in terms of implementing that chip early on in men in, in in men's and females lives it's it's look i think it's it's hard because i look at like my son for example who's just started senior school very and he's very much like i was when i was a kid very sensitive gets emotional easy now crying was kind of all right when he was in primary school right i feel like at primary school you can get you can get away with it for want of a better term but now he's starting senior school there's a big part of me that feels like I need to sort of say to him you've got to be careful now crying at senior school right because it's not safe yet for boys to cry at senior school now it'd be very easy for me to say no I teach him he can cry at school and that's absolutely fine right I wish I could say that to him but I don't feel like I can because I don't think it's safe in terms of the way that he'll be perceived from everybody else so I find myself in this tricky situation as a dad and as somebody who wants to teach young boys to to be, you know, to be okay with their emotions. We have a lot of work to do in order to like really change um, the way that it's viewed. And I think the more that we can educate children, then the more that they're going to grow up into being dads and fathers, and then they will change uh the way that their children see it and then i think that schools will begin to change um but i think that's a long game i think that's a long game you know um yeah um so it's not easy man it's not easy no i think so yeah and it is a long game and the the thing that i often 
try and teach my guys is when you lead yourself, you tend to lead people around you better. Um, and I think, and I think leading by example or being a role model in terms of what happens in closed doors here, in terms of being able to, I think, I guess the way that I look at it is that I always want to be there. I always want my boy to know that he could come to me should there be anything. And I think one of the reasons that I show up for myself is to make sure that I'm in a really good place to receive that and be there for him to be in that place, right? So I think when I always talk about lead you to lead them, it's very much a case of being aware, being self-aware externally of like reading his emotions. Because when I was that age, I was a lost little puppy. You know, I did, I never did drugs at that age, but I used to fight a lot, like always fight. And I think that was like an inner rage from losing my dad and being emotionally bullied by my stepdad. Fighting was my thing, being nicked every weekend. Um, and I think being a strong role model, sometimes I think it's just being yourself, like, and actually letting them see the ups and downs of life and not actually painting the picture that we live in a perfect world. Is that something mm. that you would agree with or something along those lines? Well, definitely, definitely. You know, the work, the work is, people ask me all the time, what do you think, I, you know, what's the best thing I can do for my kids in terms of being a parent? And I'm like, the best thing you can do is work on yourself because you'll intuitively know what to do. Right? You'll know how to be with them when you can learn to be with yourself. And I think, you know, that's, it's not lo a load of bad men teaching boys that they shouldn't cry and they need to toughen up. It's a load of young boys disguised as men who have never really learned how to, you know, be themselves in their emotions. So yes. don't know how to be with their, 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 their kids in their emotions. And so the work is all on ourselves. And that's why I think the work that we're doing, this kind of work, you know, with men, is of huge significance. And the more that we can do it, the more that we can help men to try and have those more sort of grounded, deep conversations about what it means to experience your emotions as a man, then the more that we're gonna change it for the future generations as well. Yeah, really good. So I think it was around 14, is that when you started maybe introduce, introducing alcohol and drugs to your life in that respect? Probably a bit earlier. I probably started smoking weed when I was about 12 i'd imagine 12 or 13 yeah right yeah. and then falling into like like gang life in terms of wanting to feel part of something um how long did that go on for you for and do you often reflect back on it now as in being the foundations to becoming the guy you are today yeah i mean if, if you look at it the pattern of what i've done in my life hasn't necessarily massively changed you know this is why i always say to people in some ways my healing journey started when i was 12 because that's when i started to try and look for meaning and, yeah. and and a solution and so like i found weed originally and then well it wasn't weed it was puff we used to smoke back then resin yeah for for, for a bong yeah. uh became an expert bong maker from the age of about 14 um but that and that all worked and then I got involved in sort of like gangs and all of that kind of stuff when I was like 13 14 and I was looking for purpose and meaning and a sense of belonging um and we didn't call it gangs when I was a kid but you would call it that and I was got involved in selling drugs and it was never about the money but more about the prestige and more about who I am and uh like I say purpose meaning and all of that and then when I left school, it like when I was like 18, 17, 18, it went to football violence. And it was it was exactly the same thing. I was trying to impress the top, the top boy in there. And then um, you know, I was looking for meaning and purpose and a way of releasing my pain and all of that kind of stuff. And then, you know, then it went to going out a lot and all of that. And then when I stopped drinking when I was 24, originally I went to 12 step fellowships. And I did the same thing. I was looking for meaning and finding a way to get rid of my pain. And look, I started Uncommon Man, the men's stuff in November last year. And I'm doing the same thing, right? Which is finding meaning, finding somewhere to release my emotions. Part of me still trying to impress the other men there and like all of that stuff. So like when you look at it in that way, things haven't changed drastically. I'm just doing it in what would be perceived as more, more healthy ways, right? And it is it is more healthy. There's no doubt about it. But look, I, I, I'll say now, I, 
I never did any men's work until I say I never did any men's work. I did work on myself, but I never ran any men's stuff. I wasn't like, I didn't lead any men's coaching or anything until November last year. Before that, everything I did was, was corporate and for anyone. Um, I put off working with men because, because when I'm around men, my safety barrier comes up and I struggle with knowing how to be. And so Uncommon Man's been huge for me over the last year right. in like releasing myself from some of that bonds. And I think for probably like a year before Uncommon Man, maybe two years before that. So like the last three years, I said to myself, I need to actively work on my relationship with men because because uh, I don't have any meaningful relationships in my life with men. Yeah. And that's when and now I do have, you know, a handful of men that I would as well as everyone that does Uncommon Man. But like in my sort of circle of close people, I have three or four men now who I'm very close with and who I open up with um, on, a, on a deep level. And that's been massive for me because I ran away from it, you know, in, in, in a million and one different ways. I didn't actively show that or maybe even consciously know it. But that was the truth. And that, yeah, that's, and that's evolving, right? That's taken it. And that is almost showing that that hardened self of the resilience that we spoke about right at the start. So I've got to break through, got to break through, got to break through. And and I can really resonate with that as well. I think I think when I started the man coach or the dad coach, when it was way back in the day, I never wanted to do videos because I was afraid of all the crit- criticism that you'd get. Yeah. And you would worry what people think of you. And... Um, and there would be breakthroughs. And actually, I, sh- I was meant to have started this whole project a year and a half earlier, but I just put it off, put it off, put it off, put it off. But I'm really glad, glad that you did because you probably have saved so many lives by doing it as well in such a short time. And you've only just got started as well, right? And it's like... Yeah, just it's the- amazing. And look, again, we're always learning, right? Because I've sort of noticed over the last two or three months... I'm leading this thing, you know, and we do the exercises and I send, you know, men, the men go off in like little freeze groups of three and do a listening exercise and I'm getting everyone set up in their freeze. And then there's two left at the end and I'm going, Oh, you two being a two sending them all off and stood there myself, not doing any of the work. Yeah. So I'm still avoiding having to do it by, Oh, I'm leading the space. Right. Yeah. When I don't need to be stood there. I could have gone with the two and, even if there wasn't a three left, I could have gone, made a four and got in it. So I've, you know, I've had to actively say to myself, stop avoiding here um, and get yourself, you know, get yourself in and make sure that you're making use of this as well. Um, so I see it all the time. You know, you always, I'm always evolving, as we've mentioned. You know, I often look at the coaching that I do and the videos I do. We, we, we hold like a little rise to Friday show, but a lot, everything that I do in terms of my videos and reels, is stuff that I'm, is going through in my head. So I'm almost self-coaching myself, but then putting it out there as accountability. So when I, I don't ever look at it, me as creating content, but almost documenting what's going through my head and my life, my emotions at the time. And I only realized that this year, and it, it's such a self-soother and help to be able to put that out there and go like, this is who I am. Like, I'm, I'm not bothered about what people say, but actually it gets received really well the more that we do it, right? And I think... I don't want people to look at me thinking, oh, he's got he's got his shit squared away, man. He is he's fucking squared away. Like, oh, I hate I hate it when people say, I wish I hope one day to be as healed as you. Oh I'm like, that you've got it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't you don't realize how don't fucked up I am. <laughs> yeah, I'm a mess. I say that to people, I say I'm a mess. Don't don't be like me. But see, that's another thing, yeah, is uh I find it much easier to make a video to set up a camera and sit on my own in front of a camera and yeah. be emotional and be vulnerable and that's a hell of a lot different to sitting me in front of actively in front of another man at a table and him saying come on then what what you know what emotional word did you pick which is an exercise that we do and why are you feeling it and then it's like ah i'd fucking much rather be sat in front of a camera doing this yeah because now i'm in this space with you right so uh uh, you know people say to me you you, you do the fun vulner- you know you do so much vulnerability but sometimes they end the same man and sometimes you know I'm, I'm avoiding it by doing it online yeah because i because i struggle being in the space you know so but that's something to work yeah. on before the end of the year boom i'm gonna get out <laughs> <laughs> 
So I hope I've got the date right here. Tell me how the 14th of May 2012 changed your life. So yeah, you, you've got the date, you've got the date right. Wow. Um, yeah, the 14th of May 2012 was the day that I stopped drinking. Um, I was 24, so it's over 10 years ago now. Um, and it was mad, really. It was mad. There was like a series of events that had led to that place. I mean, I don't know if you're a football fan, but um, the last day that I drank was the day that Aguero scored that goal to win the Premier League in the last second. And, you know, it goes Aguero. And what's, am what's, what's amazing about that, by the way, is that every year that's played on the telly at, on that day, yeah, because it was so big. And I know it was the last time I drank and they did a big 10-year anniversary. I can't watch it on that day, which would, would have been the 13th of May, right? Because that was the last day that I drank. Um, I can't watch that without getting teary, man. Um, because I remember being in the pub and that happening and me just thinking, this is over. It doesn't work anymore. Um, and I woke up on the 14th of May and I said, that's it. I'm, not, I'm never going to drink again. Um, and... I've stuck by it. I haven't had a drop of alcohol or anything mind-altering uh, except for caffeine. So probably drink, which, which I make up for everything else I haven't done. In, in, drink it like drink water. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, and I haven't I haven't gone back to it. And, and, you know, as somebody who was, I definitely, you know, if you want to use the word alcoholic, I was, de it was, de that's definitely what I was. Um, and so my fundamental for anything that I do is, is not to drink. And I feel like if I don't do that, then I've always, I've always got a chance, you know? Um, what was the emotional yeah. connection to stopping? So I hear lots of people say they're going to stop drinking all of the time. And I always believe that if ever we want to come out of a, an addiction or something that is leading to an addiction, that there's always like an emotional connection that gets us away from that. Like um, sometimes we need, we need to understand the reason we're doing it. Um, and am I right in thinking, no, it's not that. I, was it the kids or was it, it just not working? Was there an emotional trigger to help you stop that process? There was no emotional trigger as such. There was like a series of events. So I was in a head of, I was like in 17,000 pounds debt and I knew that I was getting a big payout from an accident that I'd had at work. Um, so it's all leading to it. I knew that it was becoming a problem. My life was a mess. I was struggling with seeing my kids and I had four kids by then. And uh, I, I was in a really, really bad place. I mean, look, I, I, I genuinely believe if I didn't have kids, I wouldn't have stopped. Um, everybody says you've got to stop. You've got to want to stop for yourself. And I understand that. And I think at the core of that is probably true. And I also recognise they're the only reason I did stop. So I'd be lying if I said you've got to want to stop for yourself because for, for a long period of time, they were the only reason I did stop. So so it's not necessarily true. But then what happened is, is that my life, I hated being sober. I hated not drinking. Um, I mean, there was no sober community online back then, but I used to go to 12-step fellowships and anybody else that was sober was talking about how amazing it was. And so so did I. I said, it's amazing. I love it. I love it. But that wasn't true. I hated it. Like, I, I mean, I didn't know how to live without alcohol. And so I was nine months sober when I when I had a weekend with my children where I would planned to take my own life when I was nine months sober. More serious than I'd ever had. You know, I'd had suicide attempts when I was drinking that were sort of not knee jerk. And they weren't necessarily cries for help. They were more just sort of pitiful depths of despair can i end it there was one quite serious attempt uh when i was about 23 where i thought i'd done it i had a seizure and stuff but uh i came through it but this was serious like i was going to do it it was over and i went to see my kids and because when i look back because i knew i was going to die that like i i felt you know i was at peace really the past yeah. was irrelevant. I was no longer worried about the future. And I had the most amazing experience with my children. And that changed everything. Um, well, that's what I was going to ask you. Because I've got it here, like, in terms of, like, because I, I listened to, like, you talking about this. And you suddenly, I think it was your daughter that cuddled you. And you felt that connection that actually you just hadn't felt before. Do, do you think, like, I think it was nine months, you said, like, nine months, like, post not drinking, 
you talked about like drinking alcohol as a way to try and find purpose. Do you think like when you stopped the drinking, it was suddenly like maybe a confliction of like, I don't know who I am. I've got, I've now I'm not drinking. I don't know how to find a purpose. With these types of some of the emotions and conflictions you're kind of going through. Definitely. I was Josh from the Wheaty. Like my whole thing was, I was Josh that got drunk, that was crazy, that loved getting on it. Right. And so you take all of that away. There's the idea of, well, one, who am I? Then you throw in the fact that there was lots of behaviors uh, that I was doing, you know, in terms of the ways in which I was with with women, um, the ways in which I was with my children, the ways in which I showed up to other people in my life that for a long period of time I used to blame on drinking. So when these behaviors are creeping back in and I'm not drinking now, well, then what? So now I'm like, well, I must be a terrible person because I can't even blame it on alcohol anymore. And I'm still thinking and feeling all of these things that I used to think that I only felt because I had a problem with drink. So, and then, and then, and then every other emotion that came flooding back. And that's what I think um, I don't see talked about when people, you know, when I see people talking about stopping drinking, all I see is people saying, I stopped drinking and my life got amazing and everything was, you know, all my problem was alcohol. And I just think, wow, that wasn't me, man. That wasn't me. Alcohol was, was an attempt at a solution. It wasn't my, I mean, it caused me problems, but it wasn't my primary problem. And when I took it away, I was left with the problem, which is what I realized after that weekend. And it was from that weekend that I really then started to actively play a role in my healing journey, if you know what I mean. Like, you know, and again, uh, this is where I feel like we're so aligned because, um, you know, I, I've often shared this with a lot of people anyway. You know, when I left the military, um, I came home to, I, I didn't want to be a weekend dad anymore. Like, you know, I, I grew up without a dad and sometimes we were away on exercise. Like you wouldn't see them for three weeks and then you come back and you see them for an hour and a half at the weekend. And it was just very much like I, I wanted to be really involved. When I came home, I thought it was just going to be a walk in a park. Like, you know, it, it wasn't because of anything that I saw, like when I went to Afghanistan or anything like that. It was a case I came home and I didn't know who I, like, who I was. And I guess in some way, shape or form, I wasn't like doing the drink thing and then coming off the drink. It, I was, I had a set life, a way of thinking, a purpose, then come back and I had nothing and no one. And like I was still for three years, Sergeant James Borman in a community that didn't belong where Sergeant James Borman didn't belong. And, you know, it cost me my marriage. It cost me relationships with people. And, and again, you know, that's when I started drinking, not excessively, but like quite heavily, not to, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was an addiction, but I remember getting to the point where um I was sitting in my room and and I had all these pills out and and, and the whiskey and I, like you I had decided that that was like that was it like I'm done like I just I can't deal I was I think the best way to describe it was numb or hollow because you just can't connect mm. like I was not there was a dis big disconnect with myself and I remember looking at the picture of the two kids that I had given up my career that I love for and said is that honestly like is this honestly the way you're going to go out? Like, it was that emotional connection that got me out of the house to go for like a three. I went out for, I was just going to go for a run, just like for 30 minutes. Like, I was so unfit at the time. Bear in mind, I used to be a physical trainer in the Marines, but I was just, I was, I was baggage. And I, I was out for three hours and I just cried and I laughed and I, and I come back and I just, this black cloud that had been circling my head for three years, just for, a couple of hours disappeared and I come back upstairs and I just looked at all the pills and the whiskey. I was like, right, like, I'm like, if I can throw all of that away, get all of that done. And suddenly I just had this, and, it, and you might be able to understand it, having been there, but this resurgence of wanting to be better, like wanting to get out of this. And I all say that those two very much saved my life all the time, you know, and in those early years, I didn't have my wife and all the young kids are there. I had no business. I, I was a college lecturer that I hated. Um, and then I found, and then through the evolution, I found entrepreneurship, which then gave me focus and drive and hunger. And that's what allowed me to build myself and build that character. And then I met um, the wife and then she helped me build that inner strength and that inner belief. And it's just been a journey ever since. And I think, I think every, I think the majority of men always 
will always think about suicide. Like whenever I speak to guys, you always go, oh, God, I just always think about it. And even when I've been in a good place, I've always thought about it sometimes because I feel backed up against the wall. And I think it's like the way out. And I wouldn't never follow through with it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm too much of a good place now. Whereas back then I had nothing. And I think that if men could just be more open about what they go through, they wouldn't necessarily always have to resort. And I, and, and I, I honestly believe that a lot of men that do commit suicide would, would, would definitely change their mind, like, or as they're doing it drastically regret it, you know, like my ex-wife's cousin, he, he took his own life. He, it almost, we're almost gotten back and he was going, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And it's just like, it's daunting to me. And when I listen to stories of people that jump off bridges, but survive it, and they said the minute they let go of the railings, they instantly regretted what they did. And I just think if we could collect men's thoughts and they could just be more comfortable being vulnerable and being more open, that I think more men's lives could be saved along the way, you know, or went off on a tangent. Yeah. No, 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 but I agree. I agree. I think that, you know, I still do look out there and I think there's still so much to do in terms of like, you know, I look at, uh, you know, Will Smith, you mm. know, when, when he cried on, on TV, I think something happened, like his wife admitted cheating on him on TV or something, like something horrific. I didn't actually see it. But the reason I know he cried is because he came up as a meme on loads of, of, of social media, of people taking a piss out of him for crying, right? So, so like, what message does that give to men about, like, you know, there's on the one hand, we're saying you all need to be more vulnerable and need to be more open. And then on the other hand, men that do just get sort of slated, you know, on a on a public scale. So I think there's a lot of work to do around that. And then to bring it back to what you said about that moment that you had with your children. There's so much like the only word I can think of is like grace in that. Right. Because. People that, you know, dads that do take their own life. They must think they must think of their children in those last seconds, right? Yeah. And for some reason, for some reason, they're not as fortunate as us to have that moment of clarity. Why, whatever that was, why ever that happened. And if we if we knew why it happened, then suicide wouldn't happen because we'd just go out and make sure it didn't happen to anybody else, right? But I think to go to where you went with what you were saying as well, the work has to start upstream, right? The work is too much of a risk to reach the man stood on the bridge. We need to reach the man six months before he stood on the bridge and, and, and have space for him to, to explore what's going on so he doesn't make the bridge, you know? Um, and I think that's, that's the work. That's, and that's, look, when I look at what we do with Uncommon Man, which is just create that space, it is as simple as that in some ways, you know? There's men now that come every month because they know that's where they come have a scream, have a cry and chat openly and honestly with another man about their struggles. Yeah. And feel more human in it. Cause I know when I sit across from a man and I say, hey, you know, this is happening in my life at the moment. And I feel like a bad husband or a bad dad because of it. When I have another man go, yeah, man, me too. And I'm like, even with the work I do, yeah, even with everything I know, there's still that thing in me where I go, fuck man, I didn't, I thought, I was crazy. I thought I was the only one. Yeah. And I ain't, I ain't like, you've just like water off a duck's back said that you do it as well. And I, you know, and, 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 and I think some men take that shit to their grave, man, because, because they're so scared of what would happen if they don't, you know? We, like we, we run this five day challenge. It's free for a lot of guys. And over the four years, we must've had, over 10,000 guys register and in the comments, they always do the welcome. And I just asked why they're here. And you got this, this thousands of comments of guys going, Oh my God, I can't like, I'm so great to be in an environment where there's like-minded men here or people understand me or God, I thought I was the only one. And I think in another 10 years, I think it's all going to have moved forward. I'm like, I really hope like with the work that we do as well and other men that I've worked with other men, I really hope that in another 10 years, the state of men's mental health, everyone's mental health, because everyone's mental health is, 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 is important, has escalated. And you think how much it has grown in terms of awareness in the last, like maybe two, three, four years, you know, I, like 
I do believe that in the next 10 years, we've got a work cut out with the COVID generation of people who, who are at school or struggle through school or like the, the detrimental effects of social, um, social anxiety or communication around people or people forgetting how to socialize. And I don't think that's going to be it. This is why we should be doing, like why we're not doing the work right now with these kids before they leave at school, at college, before they get to the turn to the age of 23, 24, 25 or 20s, uh, you know, and, and that's exactly what you're talking about, working like downstream, like we should be on it now. And I, I, I don't see any programs in terms of that happening for those kids, you know. And I look at my daughter who's 17 and she wants to work with kids in mental health. You know, she, she struggled through secondary school and she's had counseling and it's massively helped her with, with the trauma that she's faced. And, but you got like that's just one good case, one a good example. It's like how I mean, we I mean you go we talk all day about it, you know. And I Yeah, I, and look, just just on that, and I think it's important to say it, there's no money in it, right? As you know, for somebody it's not a lucrative thing to want to do. Like we we exist in a society where if you want to work with children, you have to sacrifice good financial living. I mean, I don't care what anybody says, that is wrong, right? Yeah. That is wrong. You should judge any demographic of people by the way in which they treat their children. And on a sort of political level, you know, without getting political, but you have to in some ways, like, we're a disgrace. We're the fifth richest democracy in the world. And if you look at the suicide rates and the way that they've gone up over the last 10 years, they'll directly correlate the way that funding for children's services has gone down. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I agree. Like, I agree. I agree. I agree. Like, it literally could go deep. <laughs> oh, no, no. I could do. I could do a few hours on that, mate. I'm telling you now. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I like, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like, for me, and I'm only going to touch on this base because I know we've we've only got two eleven. So I. I really feel like how outdated the curriculum is right now in terms of the things that are being taught and the things that I, th I personally think we should be teaching in terms of to develop the, the human being as a, as, a, as, a, as a kid who's joining secondary school, you know, and I've, I've just witnessed my two kids going through secondary school. Um, and I really, you know, and some of the things that I'm thinking about, like needing a toilet pass to go to the toilet and then getting attention because my boy has to leave the room yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, common sense prevails, and I know teachers are teachers are weighed down with pressures from hierarchy and governments. But yeah, uh, I, I, I think the scope for there to be an element of um, um, uh, a mental health like program is it, something that I feel so passionately about. That at some point in my in the next five years. And it's, it's like you say, it's just trying to find the time to write that or know how to write that. And am I writing it? Am I going to, am I going to get anywhere with writing it to then go and write? Yeah. Do you know? It, it, it's yeah, of... I do. And look, part of the problem, look, I think a lot of it is about giving teachers power back, right? So stop, stop tying their hands behind their back with all this academic stuff. Yeah. Why the hell are we testing the shit out of children in year six with SATs tests, right? Yeah. My son was worrying about his SATs tests, right? At this during mental health week. The fucking irony of it that like we're saying mental health week and my son who's 11 and should be worrying about when he can next go out and play football is worrying about a test that he has to do because the powers that be want to test and make sure that the teachers are keeping up with their work, right? I, I think it's ridiculous. I you know and then and then and then we just continually test the shit out of young kids. Uh, but you know, and, and you know, there should be there shouldn't be any tests. My opinion, to be radical, there should be no tests. There should be no tests. If you look at Finland, and this, I, I, I'll finish on saying this to give you something to go in research if you haven't already. Look at the schooling system in Finland, right? They don't have any tests, right? Apart from in year eleven, right? The last year of school, there's a test, but it's optional. You only have to do it. You don't have to do it. You can do it if you want to, right? They do much shorter days in between every lesson. They have a 15 minute break because they understand that putting too much pressure on the brain means that kids will tune out anyway. 
So they have a 15 minute break. They only go to school for a total of something like five hours a day or something like that. Right. So that kids get and the difference that you'll see. And, and, and listen, the schooling system, the way it is now. is still the same as before the Internet. And, you know, I used to say to a teacher, I can do all this math shit on a calculator. And the teacher's answer to me was you can't carry a calculator everywhere in your pocket, though, can you? Wait a minute. <laughs> exactly. And so the world's changed. Um, uh, yes, I can. Right. And I can and I can also carry an encyclopedia everywhere in my pocket. Right. <laughs> so, you know, so the world changed and then throw into the mix, by the way, throw into the mix that how many children that have just started high school. Right. Will leave school for a job that doesn't even exist yet. How many? Yeah. Most of them. So we. We can't even, if we think we know what we should be teaching them, we're lying because the jobs don't exist yet. So anyway, we nearly <laughs> started going down the rabbit hole, James. <laughs> we'll have to do a part two. We'll have to do a part two. I think so, definitely. Mate, it's been a, like, a real great honour to have you on the show. Um, I, I, we're very alike, I think, and I think a lot of people are going to get a lot from this as well, definitely. I think um, it would be great to do something down the line as well, I think, kind of bringing like, our communities together. I think there's a definitely man a lot of potential there definitely but josh um tell people where they can find you so they can listen to all your great stuff your best platform uh my website is just about to drop as a brand new one so you'll find everything there joshconnolly.co.uk otherwise get me on instagram it's probably the best place which is josh underscore ffw um yeah i'll put that all in the description anyway um Go and check out Josh, guys. Um, have you? I was just going to ask you just to finish. Have you written a book yet? Not yet, man. I will. Everyone says I should, and there's you know, a there. oh, there's a book in it, you. I can feel it. Yeah, I know it's coming. It is coming eventually. Just not yet. No, just not fine. yet. I like talking too much. <laughs> that's fair enough. Um, Josh, thanks for coming on. Um, I'll chat to you once we switch off. But thanks for listening, guys. Um, let us know what you thought of this. It'd be great to hear some feedback from uh, from this podcast.